Hey everybody, it's good to be back. Uh, I am actually filming this a bit on the road, but our interview was already done and the, the, the quality is good. The, the microphone is good. The, the opening segment here is a little bit of a, um, a little fuzzy, but just bear with us. It's good to be back. Uh, it's been a while. It's been a month. Uh, I've been going through a whole bunch with, uh, tests and everything uh, with the tumor on my lung and I've been going through a whole bunch of stuff. Uh, but you know, I wanted to make sure that we at least, you know, try to get a few podcasts in during this. Uh, I'm going to try to do as many as I can and, uh, keep this going as much as I could. And, uh, if we miss a week or two, I hope you'll bear with me. Uh, today is very interesting because we have a very special guest. Uh, Columbia Games has been in business for 50 years. Yeah, 50 years. And their block games were, were ahead of their time, uh, when they started back in 1972. Uh, Quebec, uh, 1759, I think was the first game, which is an all-time classic. And one of their favorites and, and, and best-selling games, Julius Caesar, uh, also a, a fantastic block game, is up on Kickstarter right now till May 3rd. Uh, they are putting out a deluxe edition of it. So you're going to want to check that out. But today we are interviewing Grant uh, from Columbia Games. Uh, his father, Tom, and him uh, run the business. And uh, a very interesting father-son dynamic and how challenging it could be working with your father, especially when he's somebody that's very demanding. So it's this is a very interesting listen. Uh, for sure. Matter of fact, uh, I, I let him talk most of it because it was just so fascinating. So uh, without further ado, uh, let's start our interview on the other side of this. Hey, everybody, it's your old pal, Rob. It is, we've got another exciting interview today. Uh, Grant Dugleish from Columbia Games. I hope I didn't butcher that. I could barely hear myself because I, I'm actually partially deaf in this ear. So when I try to say things, I don't hear myself that well and I butcher everything. So forgive me, Grant. But Columbia Games, folks, is a very historic, historic, historic company. It's been around for over 50 years. And Absolutely. I want to I want to welcome you to the show, first of all, and, and, and thank you for coming on here and talking with us. And um, the first thing I've got to ask you uh, now, your father is Tom, who started the, the company. He started it in 1972, if, I, if I'm not correct. That is true. Yeah. Okay. And you decided to work with him after, after a while. Yeah. Well, always. It's been in my family and my blood forever. What we did, uh, like, assembly of things when I was a little kid, helping, um, you know, in the shop grew up in and around it uh, putting boxes together things like that uh it was it was really cool uh a little later i, I got into contributing um which we'll talk about uh, yeah there's some specific uh, things that that were landmark phases in that but one of the earliest when i was a little little kid like about 11 12 years old i mm -hmm. remember getting involved in the uh, the, the role-playing so half of our company is fantasy role-playing and which, uh, which you wouldn't know you, you, you know which is kind of kind of funny because 
you know, um, a matter of fact, and I, I want to make sure uh, Harn's world is hard. Yeah. Harn, yeah. The hard world, hard uh, world is kind of a, a name for the product. The, the place is Harn and it's a world. Uh, Harn is actually just an Island off the coast of a continent on a world. Uh, but it's the focus. It's the place that got the most development and continues to get the most development from from us and the writer team. And that's where I got started. I mean, aside from playing games with my dad back in the in the way old like, like kids games and stuff, the stuff that caught my interest personally was the role playing at that age. Mm-hmm. And um, I remember. We did a product. My dad's uh, an old sailor. He was in the Mer- British Merchant Marine coming out of Scotland. Really? He left home about 16 years old from Aberdeen and never went back. And so he's got a passion for, for the, the sea and sailing. And we did a product for Harn that was called the Pilot's Almanac. And we still have that product. It's uh, all about provisioning a ship, sailing a ship, and he made a game out of it where you sailed a ship uh, on hex paper, working around obstacles and uh, trying to manage the wind and the tide and the currents. And I loved that. I had such a good time with that as a little kid. And so he gave me a task uh, to do some calculations for what are tantamount to character sheets for ships. So we, and my friend Joel calculated the length and the beam and the height and the amount of tonnage of, of various ships. And that was part of the product. Um, it was like the, the template that people could use to make other ships. And our names are in that book. And it was <laughs> 1987. And so I, uh, that was the first time. And, and I certainly never looked back um, from that. And that was at the height. I mean, when when role playing was like really strong too, of all things. So I mean, you know, yeah, uh, well, that was a interesting time. It, it's a huge span of time when you think about the arc of it—the fifty years. Mm-hmm. And, and my dad actually is pretty good at being, you know, Johnny on the spot in a sense. Uh, he was doing doing war games in in the seventies when when war games were big, and he was in role playing early really when uh-huh. it was uh, it was big and then he was in collectible cards when they were big uh-huh. and now we got a little of everything and it's all it's all stable and i like to call it almost evergreen um most of the products and games that we have ever created are still around and supported and that's yeah. the strategy yeah a matter of fact you have coming up on um kickstarter is a 50th anniversary of the Quebec 1759, which is one of the first games that I played. And I think one of the first games that you guys came out with. It's the first game. It's the. It, it is the first, the, uh, 1972. Yeah. So yeah. that's when it came the first out. First one that was, that was published as a, as a formal game. And there's a whole story in there how it's, it's not just a game, it's a genre. It's mm-hmm. pioneered the concept of, of the blocks. Well, that's what that's what I, I, I a question I, I honestly want to ask you, and I didn't mean to cut in there on you, and, but but it has to do with this is you know 1972. You think about all the games that were out there. It was all that chit, chit base, okay. And now you guys decide to come out with a block fog of war base game, yeah. okay, which had for your father, 
okay, had to be incredibly, uh, there's only one way to put it, ballsy, <laughs> you know, the, to go against completely the grain of everything that you could imagine, okay, and then basically say, hey, I know all you hardcore war gamers are playing this this way, but here's this. Yeah, yeah. And That's then, my dad's style. Just break the rules. He's done it many times. Uh, and that there's some pioneering that was in, in there, and, and we can talk about it right down to the details because it's an anecdotal story that's that's famous. It's in the lore of Columbia Games and my father, and it's that he was playing an Avalon Hill chit game uh, of Waterloo. And, okay. Um, the story, it's it's paraphrased and simplified, but he was charging up a hill with a, a squadron of soldiers and um, roll, rolled on a, on a CRT odds table, um, calculating the odds at, at, I think, three to one or something. Um, and he rolled the, the outlying result where attacker was eliminated just completely. And he said, that's just not, that's just not okay. Like, like, uh, like 28 guys rounded down, divided by seven makes four to one odds, but you don't, you don't get one side or the other wins like a hundred percent. It just can't be. And so that particular experience um, opened his mind to the concept of step reduction. And that's mm -hmm. actually the blocks are two things: the fog of war that that you see right away um, when you can't see the other other uh, opponent's stuff. But it's more than just what thing it is; it's how strong it is because of step reduction. And we so we rotate the pieces, and the number at the top is the current strength. And so those two concepts were designed to encapsulate complex things: fog of war. Step reduction, meaning grad, gradual taking of casualties. You know, previously, people had come up with flipping over counters or substituting counters. Um, this is a very elegant solution. And that's, that's also what I, I would give my dad a lot of props for being, um, for always searching for the elegant solution to any problem in design or even life but that gives the the most feel for the least overhead. Um, and it's a balance, right? Because you can, it's actually easier to make a complicated game in a, in a lot of ways. To yeah. make it too complicated. It's, and it's, and that's, one, that's one of the things that, that you know, you, you know, we had you on, on here and, and of course, you know, thank you for coming on. But but also is to, to to show the elegance of this game, and I don't think a lot of people get what what this is. There is a simplified. It's easy to learn, but impossible to master. Yeah, that's kind. Yeah, Quebec is still being played to this day, and, mm -hmm. and the other game that uh, we're going to talk a lot about today, just because we can't talk about them all, uh, is two. Oh yeah, we can. <laughs> <laughs> We can rattle them off and we can. It's my show. Them. We'll do what the hell we want. <laughs> awesome. Awesome. So, so yeah, it, it's, it, it's a system invented and then adapted, you know, ever since. And mm -hmm. it's really also cool how it's now become a genre that other companies produce block games. And it's a very high compliment, actually. 
well, well, you look at one of now. I know Richard Borg uh, Borg very well. Mm -hmm. um, sure. He lives here in Florida. Uh, with, on the matter of fact, you're on the West Coast. Yeah, uh, Washington. I'm in Washington State, as close to Vancouver, Canada, as you can be. The Seahawks fan. Um, yeah, when I like football, which is half of the time, uh, I'm a bandwagon uh, because <laughs> hockey. Hockey is my sport. Uh, oh, that, it, mine too. I, I love I love hockey, and and the two teams that I follow that mean the world to me are my beloved Seahawks. Now, mm -hmm. I grew up in Connecticut. Okay. okay. And I was the only Seahawk fan there. Sure, I okay. uh, You know, back in 1976, good luck trying to find a game, but I was a quarterback and I was left-handed. So Jim Zorn was my guy. Okay. So love the Seahawks, but I am a Toronto Maple Leaf fan through and huh. through. Huh. The Canadian connection. Yes. Yeah. I actually fell in love with them too when, back in 1990 when they won the – World Series and and uh, that was quite a team. Um, oh, oh yeah, oh yeah, the the um, the Blue Jays, the Maple Leafs haven't won a thing since '69. How did I mix that up? Of course, yeah, it's something like 45, 50 year drought and uh, an absolute. If we could get out of round one, it'd be a miracle. And you know, the, the funny thing was, is they're playing here in Tampa. And mm -hmm. Saturday, I, I I haven't been feeling very well, and I wanted to go to the game. I go, but if I go to that game, we're going to lose. And then it turned out we won, you know, in overtime. And I go, of course, because oh, no. I didn't go. No, that's so, a reinforcing prophecy. That's not good. That means you. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah it's um, well, hockey for sure. I am now a Kraken fan, uh, but oh. my heart is with the Canucks, and um, ah. I, I play uh, in little men's beer league hockey once a week. Oh, there you go. Um, and we, we love that. It's, it's a non-contact league. Um, sometimes you bump into your other people, but mostly we try not to because mm -hmm. we have real lives and real jobs. And we don't want yeah, to. You have to, go, you have to go to work at some point. <laughs> I mean, it's, it's my passion. And, and you know, uh, you've seen through through your years in the gaming that the game Slapshot, that uh, – well, yeah, you know, I and I'm going to be honest with you because I don't lie. I never. I, I this is the first time I've seen this. Oh wow! All right, so there you're in for a, a treat. Slapshot as a hockey fan is is even better, but it's actually just a wonderful game for uh -huh. anybody. Really, it's uh, it's quite clever. It's simple. Again, on the surface, too simple, but it's deeper than it looks, and uh, it's a lark. Of course, it's a pun-filled um, spoof of hockey. It's not a simulation because, mm -hmm. frankly, sports simulations don't don't satisfy me, at least. This is you're the manager in this context of a team, and you it's trading cards with other players, trading players, um, drafting players, and and playing games. And when you do play a hockey game with another player, it's actually tantamount to that classic card game war where you just mm -hmm. flip down cards and the big card wins. And if you get a tie, you know that whole thing. And a little bit like that, you play hockey, um, comparing the teams effectively one card at a time, and you can challenge whichever other human player you want to. You try to challenge the, the, the bad teams to win. You 
draft when you need to improve your team and you also can trade with other teams trading is actually more like stealing because <laughs> you take a card from another team um, sight unseen and, and you take it and then you look at it and you give a card back to that team and there are positions goaltender uh, two defensemen and three forwards that make up a hockey team you always maintain that ratio in your hand so Sometimes, actually, you can make a bad trade where you have to give back a better card than you got. But theoretically, mm -hmm. you trade with the good teams to give yourself odds of, of uh, stealing a good player. And that's a nice effect. It has a beautiful, balancing, self-regulating effect that somebody gets a little too far ahead and everybody trades with them and trades and steals all their good players. And so you have to actually manage a team, use it before you lose it, to accrue some wins and, and a win is, is as easy as whipping through the cards. Somebody wins, somebody loses and uh, advance, advance your puck. If you won uh, up to season standings, you're trying to get the first two uh, nine wins and that triggers the playoffs. Then we have best of seven with the two top players that, that, that play hockey. There's a couple of other little twists like bruisers, a player that, injures whoever they are compared against in a game in the in the in the war type comparison knocks them out so your team is a little bit fluid in that sense and it's all a lot of fun it's both a lark simple easy kids game if you wish but also it can be played rather strategically you know because ultimately making the correct choice each turn making the optimum choice optimal mm -hmm. choice is this is the strategy and, uh, but that that kind of sums up this company, though, yeah. in in my eyes. Simple. You you can have kids play it, but yet there's this complexity that you know it 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 it, it doesn't just sit in a window. It's a wide window, and anybody can be invited in to to really enjoy these tremendous experiences that you guys have created. That's been the best part of the whole thing. Because after all, what I'm doing here is is selling fun. And yeah. I love that because I get a lot of strokes, a lot of praise, you know, a little backlash now and then, but not nothing really. And compared to trying to sell something mundane like car insurance or something, this is a lot more fun. <laughs> <laughs> and so uh, I've... I had the, the benefit and the pleasure of doing that all these years. And so 50 years, and now let's see if we can do another 50. Yeah, I, I mean, I didn't realize it was 50 years. And, and you know, and you know, I'm a little long in the tooth myself, and I went, 50 years, my God. You, you know, I remember playing this, playing that, playing, you know, and all sorts of things. The one I wanted to talk to you about, uh, and and we'll talk about a few of them here, but it's one one thing I noticed about it. Now this one right here, which is Wizard Wizard Kings. Yes. All right. This is one that you developed with your father. Mm -hmm. Okay. Because both first, of you yeah. have. A, yeah. How was that? I mean, because out of all the games, I think this is the only one that you both are credited working on together without assistance of anybody else. Um, is yeah, accurate? is it, that it, accurate? It's it's accurate uh, empirically, of course, with the credits. 
Um, I, I might say that many of the titles that have come out since then um, involved another person, such as Jerry Taylor or Justin uh-huh. Thompson. Um, and out of deference to them, uh, there's a certain amount of uh, allowing them to have a, a more full billing. Uh, and my dad, though, he would never, he would never give up some building. So he's the co-designer. I'm always listed there as a developer, but really it's, it's, it's been a team for a long, long time. Um, we work very well together because we share that same vision of, of how to keep it simple, keep it simple, stupid to use the old. Yeah. Um, yeah. Uh, and, and so wizard Kings, again, it's, it's what's cool about that is it's an engine. It's like a, a system for playing it represents a lot of complex stuff in a nice simple little package it still uses the blocks that i mentioned earlier you know pioneered way back in 72 with quebec wizard kings is from the year 2000 uh and the the blocks themselves operate the same way as they ever did with the the fog of war and the step reduction and it's a, a real nice Parallel, it, it means when you're learning one of these games, you've learned most of them at the same time. And that's really quite a nice shortcut. It does tend to encapture, encapture people and, and make them into blockheads, to be, to be kind. <laughs> and so Wizard Kings, if um, it, it almost was an evolution um, of a few different spots. It, it came directly from a game engine Again, another engine, I use the word um, on purpose, uh, called Victory. And that came out a couple of years before Wizard Kings. Victory is a World War II era game. Um, uh, the modern word for it that is a, a beautiful descriptor is a sandbox. Sandbox mm-hmm. game. Wizard Kings is also a sandbox game. So Victory came out first, and it was um, that itself was pioneered out of a game that was called Power that my dad had developed in in the 70s and maybe the 80s too and played with forever and ever and ever. And he had dug that out a few times over the decades. And then he and I made it into victory. And I'm actually surprised I didn't insist on my name being on that one because it was it was <laughs> the time that we, we did that kind of thing together. Um, and victory, because it was a sandbox and it was uh, wildly successful. We were able to expand it with more maps and more pieces. Then we thought, well, let's just do this all again with fantasy. And we even debated calling it fantasy victory. So that that's my Ooh. actual proof of how my brain was looking at it at the time. But instead, uh, my father dreamt up Wizard Kings, and it's a great name. It, it um and it became a brand. And so that's what, what he, he does well is come up with the, the big picture stuff, new stuff. And then together, he and I kind of shoehorn it into a, a beautiful package that has as, as little of overhead, as little rules as possible with as much experience. 
and it's it's absolutely beautiful. And and when I get off with this, I'm going to your site and I'm ordering Victory. And anybody that wants to get any of these games, you want to go to ColumbiaGames.com, which are just absolutely. You just don't realize what you get in here. And and these maps, they all go together, and they're just huge and beautiful. I you know it's kind of hard to see here. Sure. But but the that's big, all geomorphic. How they rearrange yeah. in the. Any which way you want to build a different continent. Uh, and the catalog has a nice picture of that as well for folks who can see and the block. Screen. And I know people can't see the blocks, but but I'm going to be doing uh, a video on this, a matter of fact, which awesome. everybody should see next week at some time, because this 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 interview will go up on our podcast on Wednesday as well as on the channel on Wednesday. So next next week we are actually going to do a live playthrough of Isla. I believe it's Isle of the Dead, which is the solo scenario, uh -huh. which which yeah. is great because it's going to teach the game and really get everybody to understand it. But my God, this victory I, I, I'm going to get my hands on. And there's a couple of other ones here that that are just absolutely blow me away, which is Combat Infantry and Eastern Front, sure. which are those. Those are really two completely different things in it and, and uh of course the similarities are there with blocks and and, and mm -hmm. concepts. Uh, in fact a lot of concepts but combat infantry is our, our our answer to squad leader it's squad leader with blocks it's it's a tactical blocking the first time we've done um well it's not quite the first time but it's the ranged combat and, mm -hmm. and hex hex um adjacency and engagement was pioneered actually in Gettysburg, a game we put out in 04. Um, yeah. And combat infantry borrows from Gettysburg quite a bit. Um, surprisingly, it, it works very well. Uh, really, have, again, what we try to do there was to put it all in, all the complexities and, and nuances and sophistication that you would expect in tactical in tactical combat, but with eight or 12 pages of rules. And you have to make some hard choices, some things you have to uh, simplify or abstract out. But we've, that's the knack that I learned from my dad and he still in, engenders in me all the time to just find the seam where you get what you need and throw out the stuff that gets in the way. So, I mean, combat infantry is a simple example or a, a very poignant example of that is most tactical games have a concept that's called opportunity fire. And, and if you're a tactical guy, you know what that means. Yep. So, um, surprise, believe it or not, we, we built a tactical game without having that. And we, we threw it out. We tried. We played. We worked hard to make it work. And I, I hated it. I couldn't come up with mechanics that I liked that were clean and smooth. So we threw it out, but we didn't ignore it. We solved the problem with the movement rules with uh, and with impulses, where you're only actually ever moving probably three or four blocks at a time before the other guy gets to move. And that's actually itself interesting because those three or four blocks that you move are one platoon. And you have to make a choice as you're playing the game you got your opponent sitting across and you can't quite see his stuff and you're going to activate one at a time 
and then move the associated blocks. And the other guy is going to go, so it's interleaved. And what we did there was make it fluid and dynamic and interactive enough that we were able to throw out that specific rule called opportunity fire and you don't miss it which you know superficially sometimes we've had players sit down and play the game and uh, or read the rules and and see that opportunity fire isn't in there and just can't get their head around how can it be uh, and so i challenge you to play it and then tell me if you miss it and mm -hmm. That's something that we've done a lot of times over the years in a lot of these games. And so if you're too quick to make assumptions, you might miss what's going on there. The actual playing of it is what's important. And that's what reveals sometimes why those decisions were made. Um, and it might take a while to notice it, mm -hmm. you know, repeated playings. And so combat infantry has now been expanded with it, it's become a line like wizard Kings or victory. There's an East Front version, and we got some more coming in the in the oh. near future. Um, yeah, we got the Desert is probably our next one. Um, so it's going to be um, British soldiers, American as well, but British and Germans mostly, um, mm -hmm. and some Commonwealth stuff. And that's going to be great. We're got to have some Canadians, right? Uh, right. Well, of course. And then we can do we can mix that all up and and move them over and play a D-Day type invasion with Canadians and and Brits. It'll be lots of fun. It's a again a sandbox. You get to do what you want with it, and people get a lot of value out of that because it's forever fun. You can dig it out and play a little game on one map, plays in a half an hour, forty five minutes, or you can play a great big game, fill your table, and maybe a whole weekend. And again. Yeah. Oh, go ahead. I'm sorry. And just anywhere in between. It's really neat how you can do that. Yeah. And again, they're really at home. You know, you can come out, you can make this an introduction for somebody that's never played any type of war games. And I, I can't stress that enough. And it sucks them in. You know, it, 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 it's, it's one of those things, that, you know, I, I, I started my son on, on a Columbia game. Okay, like I said, Quebec, and and he played it, and we just never looked back. We went uh, to Rommel, uh, in the Rommel in the desert. We had played we had played that, and you know, to, to to your credit, you guys started doing deluxe editions. As a matter of fact, which we have right here, and I want to show everybody that it's not all just paper maps. These deluxe editions are just this board is just absolutely gorgeous and i'm just going to open this up here hopefully without making too much of a fool of myself on on on, on you know on on my podcast which i shouldn't worry too much about but i mean i mean look at that i mean just well if i don't if i don't mess it all up here there we go all right i mean just after you know if everybody's just unbelievable quality and you know this I, i'm just excited to, to to break this out because of the, just because of the map and how beautiful it is what yeah. made you guys go in, instead of just staying very comfortable where you were okay i think and, yeah and, and hey deluxe yeah. traditions 
Yeah, well, I think you have to keep with the times. I, I mentioned earlier how my father was able to adapt and be in different markets within the adventure hobby gaming, but different subgenres as as needed. But it's for what's popular, but also for what strikes his interest. Because after all, it is his passion and and his business, and he got to sh shape it. You know, how he wanted uh, in that sense as well, but uh, it, it's uh, it's a very interesting long long term process uh, that um, it, it's where I don't know quite why it led only now to the deluxe editions, but um, uh, I think it's long overdue. Um, I think these games are you know first rate they've always been classy because the wooden blocks are classy uh, uh -huh. but um people had a fair case to to make a point about mounted maps and in the old days that wasn't expected you know um and no, it's all paper maps yeah and our cardboard maps that we actually had from the beginning were superior uh, mm -hmm. to the paper maps so you know it goes back and forth like a pendulum we, we were ahead of the curve at one point where everyone said look at the quality of these games with the wooden blocks and card maps and and all the color and good looking stuff and then you, you if you sit on your laurels too long the rest of the world catches up so what's what we're doing we're just keeping up and and pushing to another level forward and it's really it's a beautiful thing. I think it's a perfect evolution of these beautiful games that they look as beautiful as they play. Um, so it's I'm happy. I'm really quite happy and, and as to why we we would never want to sit on our laurels, so to speak, because it's it's part of the fun is trying to trying to innovate and we also have this concept I mentioned of trying to keep all the titles in print. So there's a bit of a competing force there to look backward as well as look forward. And so we do a, a balance there, innovating within, so improving the quality as a way of doing that, but generally not changing the game. Uh, sometimes that happens, of course, there are additions and changes that, that go on, but a lot of the time, that's not the point that we're we're not reissuing a game just because we've changed it we're issuing it because we sold out and mm -hmm. it's in demand and we want to keep it in print um, emotionally and also fiscally and and, and strategically um, and it's, it's I think it's it's part of the reason we're still around just because we've always got a little something to for someone to buy and, and to make a paycheck, which is at the end of the day, that's still on the table, right? You got to do that. Uh, you, so we, you've been, yeah. I, I mean, you've been around 50 years. You, you obviously are, are, are doing some things right. But if you had a look over this time as, and, and just particularly in the time that you've been here, what mm -hmm. are some, maybe some of the things that you felt that were challenges that, that were really tough for you guys? And some of the things that maybe you would have changed if along the way if you had to. Mm -hmm. Wow, the most obvious thing to to bring up is the the family dynamic, right? You know, the father and son 
that um, we could never be equal. Uh, I'm I'm the boy and he's the dad, so we always had that dynamic, and and yet I'm fairly strong-willed, and so we we had some epic debates and arguments and even fights over the years about this or that, uh, whether it was life or game concepts. He he fights passionately about both, uh, which I think is wonderful. Uh, so we debated uh, intensely many things and and always come through the other side with an agreement uh, and i think a better result uh, but it, it is true that when you look at that from the outside and other people witnessed it it, it isn't necessarily easy to watch um, and i guess if i could have made it work a little better there might be some relationships that uh we weren't able to keep going um, because the creative egos came head to head with, with a, my dad, who is the guy and, and the publisher and, and the owner and the, the guy taking the chances. So reserves the right to have the final say. And then uh -huh. and sometimes to a developer or designer who couldn't embrace that. Um, and it's interesting because that's we're unique in this way. We, a lot of game publishers are, are publishers that, that a title is brought to their attention and, and they buy the rights to it or secure a contract and publish it. There's not one game in our catalog that my dad didn't have his hands in and good or bad, right? That's that's both a, a, a strength. A blessing and, and a curse. Yeah. Because, well, certainly the, the curse is that we're the bottleneck, and so we slow it down. And there were certainly many times where some developers and designers ran out of patience. And some, in fact, that's how it came to pass that other companies published block games. Is they, were, they were actually, I don't want to say a reject by Columbia Games. That's not accurate, because it wasn't necessarily that we said no. It's that we didn't have time to say yes. And mm. they ran out of patience, which I didn't blame them for either. So now that's turned into a good thing. Um, but what I would maybe with that hindsight and and look back upon and kind of a wish that some of those relationships were preserved. Um, but um, it, it sometimes it works and sometimes it doesn't. And, and um, that's, again, it's a bit unique. My dad's motive is not about the company's profits it's about making games that he's proud of and um it's a beautiful motive because it it leads to it leads to good stuff that's that's potentially timeless but it does take time and man we could talk about that because we're in the throes of it right now um trying to finish up a game uh called alliance that is a, oh, a really ambitious concept of a simple game about the entire Napoleonic Wars playable with anywhere from one solitaire up to seven players. And we've got this game. We're almost done with it. We kickstarted it last year, um, but, but we're not done. And my dad is diligently working on it, um, but being the bottleneck is certainly that's a challenge um 
you know, we work together on various parts of it. Uh, in, in fact, more and more parts uh, empirically I'm taking over. Um, but he's, he loves maps. He's always, maps are his passion. They're also one of my passions, absolutely. But he, he's starting- I see Harn right behind you. <laughs> yeah, there's another another hint to it. Uh, it's it's a that map. The Harn map is what you know, suckered my dad into becoming a role player. He, he wasn't a role player. That map did it. So it, it says a lot. But uh, these days, he is the mapper. And he works. He's working every day, actually, with his computer and Adobe Illustrator, working on the map. And it's it's all Alliance all the time right now. Uh, he's struggling a little bit with his eyesight, and he's has uh, some. I uh, so had some surgeries to to help with it, and um, and some medication, but it slowed it down a little bit. Um, and but we're actually interestingly, we're just this week made some big breakthroughs and nearing nearing a point of um, uh, being able to call that game finished. Uh, so, you know, that touches on looking back. There's been a number of times when his commitment to quality is at odds with other people's desire to have the game in their hand. And mm -hmm. you, he, he's never, ever once that I can remember consciously ever said yeah it's good enough ship it he's always said no i'm still working on it and it'll ship or print when it does uh but that does come with some challenges for sure uh, from potentially customers screaming at you or getting impatient uh, and we may have a little bit of a challenge with the communication about that because it's 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 an awkward topic and i don't like to be on defense so then we'd rather spend our time working on it than talking about it. But sometimes a little too much time goes by and people get a little impatient. And also I, I'm, I'm lucky because we have this history. We have a lot of people that trust us that trust is a big thing. Yeah. Trust is a massive yeah. thing. And, and I'm nervous always about jeopardizing that. Um, try hard in, at a conscious level not to, but uh, you got to be aware sometimes that not everyone that has committed to, to say, Alliance knows us the way a lot of them do. There's a good amount of the customers are, quote unquote, repeat and, and passionate fans and will, will give us the benefit of the doubt and would, and would say, if you ask them, I'd rather you worked on it and made it right. Don't rush it. But not everyone understands that, and um, I wish I kind of wish I wasn't in that boat. So anyway, I'm I'm working on uh, finishing that particular game. It's a it's a beautiful game with a, a great big scope. It looks absolutely stunning. It's it is it is beautiful blocks, beautiful map, nice cards, a, a clean engine again for playing the whole the whole war. We have scenarios, so you don't have to play it all at once. But, uh, quick and, and engaging and I'm really happy with it. We struggled a little bit on the multiplayer rules on coping with the shifting alliances and uh, 
but we did. We had some breakthroughs in the rules fairly recently, and we're just now, just now tidying up the map, and then we'll be done. Um, and we'll go to the printer, and we'll have it back. And I think actually the Julius Caesar game is going to get printed at the same time, so we're going to be looking for. Some that's another one. That's a deluxe edition that that you guys had that was very successful. Julius Caesar is probably our best-selling game uh, mm -hmm. in the blocking line right now. Um, it, it, the other one that is neck and neck with Caesar is Hammer of the Scots, a really popular one um, that's an evergreen. I've played that. I never went out and got it. Here's Julius Caesar. The Actually, this is not the deluxe edition, right. but the, the deluxe edition is coming with the mounted board, of course, and it will be glorious. Yeah. And it's, yeah, the Rommel in the desert that you have there is a perfect analogy. It's going to look like that with the, mm -hmm. the nice map and, and high quality, uh, everything. You know, the funny thing about the Alliance and and, and, and just bringing this, this up, you know, you have 50 years of history. Mm -hmm. Here you guys are used to doing things a certain way. If this was, if this was 1980, 1990, you wouldn't be having these communication issues. It's the modern age and trying to adapt to a modern age. Okay. And I, I bet you that has to cause, you know, some of that friction between you and your dad, where you're probably a little bit more open thinking and he's still thinking maybe back then. Um, a bit. Yeah. 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 There wasn't Kickstarter in 1970. There wasn't or 1980 or 1990, you know, as, as, as things developed and the world got smaller, people are now hanging on things that this game just would have came out. People would have gone bought it and this wouldn't even have been an issue. Yeah. It's really interesting. The arc of, of that, the, the, the business has changed in, in so many ways. It, it certainly started out, like you said, with, uh, <clears throat> with no communication directly with, with your actual customers, uh, mm -hmm. except for the fan letters and things that came in once in a while, but it's it, next to nothing. And we've gone now to a very direct and personal, um, transparent relationship. And I love that actually. Um, but it is, it is a lot of work, um, you know, managing thousands and thousands of customers um, individually is 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 a lot more overhead than just shipping a box of games to a distributor who ships them on to a store so you get you got to take the, the good with the bad but I, I mean i love that part i love the the direct communication and and it's more than just direct communication with with people on a list like a catalog or something it's in 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 a lot of cases it's very human very personal um, yeah, even with things like Facebook and, and, and friends with lots of my customers. And, and I like it that way. I, I visited many of them in different places in the world, stayed in their homes even, uh, mm -hmm. and played games with their families. And, and I, I've had a lot of wonderful opportunities because of that. Uh, so it's, it's actually, the, my dad understood that too. He, he's the one who, who pioneered the very concept and, we, we we visited people together in the in the way way back, but yes, the adapting to to the modern way of of, of doing things is takes some give and take. Uh, I don't think I would actually want to take credit for being that much more open 
actually um maybe in the last few years i could maybe take that that is an accurate sort of a description but uh, you know it is it's my dad who first invented our database like he coded it the one that we use to keep track of all our customers i'm the one who did the website that's where it starts to diverge uh, mm -hmm. I, I suppose um in, in 1996 or so we had a website going about way back then and a little america online before that even uh, and that's maybe oh, where I, Jesus. It, yeah it's crazy and, and long long times and so many differences if you look at the world of 1990 and compare it to the world of 2020 it's it's actually it's almost unrecognizable in, in some areas yeah it's really stunning. It's, uh, i never i never thought i'd be walking around yeah you know, with my phone, we don't even have a home phone. Yeah. yeah, yeah. It's been uh, it's been interesting. I think my dad's been pretty nimble at that. Like I mentioned, his job right now is working on the map for Alliance in the software Adobe Illustrator. That's some complex software. Like, it sure is. It's not your layman's software. No, and I know. And he understands it intimately, uh, and. I think that's pretty cool. I mean, I think the can-do sentiment in his mind is what is why. Like he, he never says, "I can't do that." I've never heard him say, hardly ever, "I can't do that" or "I don't want to learn that." Um, which is common, you know, for for folks sometimes to reach a point in their lives where they they think of things as newfangled and they don't want to learn them. Um, but my dad is not that way. And and I think, you know, what's interesting is the reason is for control and the ability to do it the way he wants to his specifications and his passion. One of the breakthroughs that he would explain about him having Adobe Illustrator skills and a map is that he is not dependent on an artist anymore. And he used to have to have a back and forth if you wanted something changed on a map in the old days that was a big deal right that's so right the play testing process the development process used to involve more uh more people almost by definition that were potentially roadblocks or um what's the bottlenecks to use the same phrase and also personalities and also just communication um, so what we did over these decades is take everything in-house and there's still a little bit of external artwork done from from time to time in certain areas especially the role-playing stuff but the rest is done in in our actual house in the shop and that way we're in control of it start to finish and i think that just is very attractive for him especially and, and and naturally i like it too um so we try to learn the skills even right now we're pushing into another direction um with computer games so there's there's a that's the other thing i saw Ju uh, julius caesar i believe is yeah julius caesar and richard third um both those two board games are on on steam now uh that you can play with Mac or Windows, uh, and the first, they're they're live and for sale, and and they're really pretty great. They're very attractive. They play mechanically very well. 
there, there's some work that I would like to see done to make them better, in particular the AI uh, and the multiplayer interface need a little work. Uh, but the good news is that's actually happening. Um, there's a partnership to make those games. We partnered with Avalon Digital, uh, headmanned by a really great guy named Philippe Thibault in France. And he, uh, as, a, as a, a gamer, which is the important part, um, put together a company to produce these games. And he has the passion that they be um, true to the game or as good of an experience as possible. So he's not the coder. Um, he hired uh, another partner um, to, to make those games, and that partnership worked for a little while, but then it fell apart, as these things often do. Uh, mm -hmm. The coder, in this case, is pretty analogous to my dad working with an artist, right? It's the same basic concept. Uh, eventually, the relationships tend to break down or fade away, and it, there could be reasons for that, that that we could get into, but it's generally because my dad's not getting what he wants and what he wants is what he wants. So take it or leave it. And here we are now in 2023 with this new thing we call blocks. It's the line of computer games that Avalon has pioneered and Avalon's relationship with their coder fell apart. But Philippe's got the same kind of attitude that my dad does. He's not given up. So he's hired a company um, in, in Spain, actually, and they have just updated the game, and I literally this morning downloaded the latest beta of Julius Caesar, and I'm involved in the testing and the design of that, and I've chosen to understand the code. Mm -hmm. it's, it's, it's still a little over my head, and I'm learning it, but I took a course in, in Unity so that I could understand a lot of it. And I also have always kind of understood code from learning HTML at the beginning and, and um, a lot of other things. And, and the, the purpose of me learning it is, again, it's to, it's control. It's to understand. And the purpose of that is to make it better. Uh, it's a bit of a holy grail to have a computer game of Julius Caesar that the computer will play against you and you actually you actually want to play right now you, you're going to beat it every time uh, the mm -hmm. AI is a good tutorial but it's not a great um it's not a great opponent so we're working on that as one aspect and then another because the other major feature of this game was to play against your friend online you know two players head to head um, right and that does work uh, in the existing game but it's a little clunky and so the the Spanish company again is working on an overhaul of the multiplayer interface, not just the actual visual GUI interface, but the behind the scenes code communication um, back and forth. Um, and it turned out to be necessary in a way that the original code design, um, the first guy had, had pioneered a system that worked pretty well for um, what you call the I go, you go type of game. You're certainly familiar with that term. Uh, but Julius Caesar and the block games have a more interleaved process. In combat, units are firing. It's not always defender than attacker in the classic sense. It's, it's nuanced. And 
that requires uh, more code because it requires an exchange of data more often. If you think about a battle turn in a classic I go, you go, or defense offense, it's just two steps. But mm -hmm. in Caesar, there's A, B, C, and D blocks, and defender and attacker. So there's at least eight phases there in one battle turn where there's going to be a communication back and forth, and a decision needs to be made by a player or an AI based on the previous step. So that's actually a bit of a tall order to do all of that. And sure is. We are, but we're trying, and Philippe Thibault is by far the best um, supporter of that that vision that I have encountered. Because actually, over the decades, I have tried quite a few times to bring these games to computer. Yeah. Um, mostly, it's gone sort of poorly. Uh, they, they we get halfway through it, um, and. Um, Either there's a, a problem on, on the side of the, the development or the coding, or then there's also still a problem potentially with the business model, at least in the old days. Uh, so we found something here that works, and uh, I am still, I am full full steam on these Steam games. I fully believe in them. I, I have to, you know, frank, color my enthusiasm with the frankness that they aren't quite as good as they should be. Um, but I want to tell the world that uh, we're not giving up we're improving them and the cool thing is with the steam game the updates are free Any, anyone who's uh -huh. ever bought the game is going to be benefiting from the updates that we're working on so past present and future uh, all of us will have the same game but it's another really nice thing you know that that wasn't around in the old days um that makes the concept of iteration and, and improvement and patching um so much more practical um so that's cool and then this this concept is scalable too we have uh hammer of the scots and crusader rex in development really and if we can get this going we we should be able to have all these titles um uh, and it's it's to my mind it's not meant to replace or compete with the board games it's just another way to experience you take it, it with you you can take it with you. Uh, you can save it, uh, pick it up. And they got those Steam decks now. I got one of those things. It's a little play right, right there. Yeah, that's actually pretty cool. I have not tried it personally, but I've heard of those. Um, oh, my God. The thing is like the greatest thing on the face of the earth. <laughs> all right. Well, that speaks highly. I got it for Christmas, and I was like, yeah. Well, now I, I know that these are on there. That, I'm going to be the first one to download some of this stuff now. I, and I think those are that's a justifiable business expense for me, don't you think? Uh, yeah, yeah, I think so. I think you can write it off. <laughs> I'll play test right there. Um, I, I, I'm a Mac guy, uh, so I play test on the Mac, and mm -hmm. that actually is, it's a different compilation um, of the software, so I don't always catch certain things. So it'd be it'd be really, I think, a very good thing to have that. Uh, oh yeah, yeah. It, it's, That'd be cool. So that's that's a fun idea. In fact, now I've got a, a marching orders for myself uh, to go and get one of those, and yours are to install these games on it. <laughs> I, I'll shoot you some codes so you can do that. <laughs> hey, I'll take it. One last question before we go. We've been on here for an hour, believe it or not, and it went by like yeah, that. Yeah, man, it's great. It just flies. Yeah, sure it does. Um, where are we going? What's the next thing that 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 we could look forward from the Great Columbia Games? We've already done um, 
so much in the in the 50 year span where do you go next what do you got coming and 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 what can people look forward to well we have actually touched on it a lot in in what we've been saying because the the yeah with alliance yeah on the list the specific titles of alliance uh, which uh, is, is overdue and so you know that's an absolute that's next really next very next thing that you will see from us is that Mm-hmm. Uh, the the process that of deluxifying or enhancing the quality um, of the games is going to work its way across the line um, over the next wow. three, four, five years. Um, as the games sell out, is is the usual logic of it. Um, we'll upgrade the printing. As as I've said before, we the games um, that we print from the beginning. Or the designs are still in print, you know, many iterations later. So it's not a new thing that they've been upgraded or developed. It's just reaching a new level of quality on that arc, and uh, it's that's really exciting. I, I have all kinds of other things in the on the works too, though. We we have the role playing stuff, um, which I'm super passionate about. Harn World is a unique thing again. Because of my dad, it's why it's unique. There, there, there was a man named Robin Crosby who brought that world to my dad mm-hmm. at a Vancouver, Canada game club. And Robin had drawn that map that's on the wall behind me. I, I lean out of the way there. So yep, yep, yep. It's, uh, I'm moving this way like I'm going to see it any clear. <laughs> it's, it's drawn with pen and ink um, markers, uh, Pantone markers from, from way back. That's how it was done. Oh, God. Beautiful piece of art, but it's also cartographically satisfying. And um, in terms of realism and in terms of also depth and creativity, that map sold my dad on a concept. Um, but then my dad took that concept and brought other people in, writers, and, and he did some writing himself. But he took that fantasy world and he developed it specifically into a product for role-playing. And that's that's by itself a statement because sometimes uh, role-playing, um, it's, people make a, a role-playing game out of a movie or out of um, a book, right? Uh-huh. And then, you're working with that constraint of that movie or that book, right? That's the lore, whether it's Dune or anything else, right? Um, Right, right. This was actually a deliberate effort to make something that tantamount to a sandbox that players and game masters could use endlessly in myriad ways because it is presented as like an all-encompassing real world. We actually came up with the moniker Harn is a, a real fantasy world. And it's become used so much, it's cliche now. Um, but the real is kind of special. It, 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 it's modeled after medieval England. So um, mm-hmm. if you know much about the Norman period, when you're reading Harn, it sort of just, fits it, it and it reads like history like it like a history book but in the present tense right everything in the present tense 
uh, there's actually history within Harn, and that's in the past tense, but a lot of the descriptions and all of the uh, the maps and the, and the, the characters, so to speak, uh, the people, the politics, that's all written in the present tense, but in a style that feels contemporary to like 11th, 12th century England. So that's unique. Again, it's kind of unusual. It's also presented as gritty and and realistic, um, a little bit like medieval world probably was. Um, there, there are things like like magic from wizards and and dragons and monsters and things like that. But in each case, there was a mechanic, a, a plot device built into the original design and the original description of the world to help game masters work with that. So mm-hmm. the, the role-playing the role mechanism that keeps the uh, wizards in check is a guild. And they're, you're members of a guild, and the guild self-polices. If, if you go out in the world and break sort of the rules of the guild, which the biggest rule of the guild is be subtle, um, they're probably going to hunt you down and declare you a renegade. And uh, the idea here is there's a tool for a player, a game master to experience magic, but perhaps to try to explain it away as a miracle or with some subtlety uh, because fireballs in the street lead to burning at the stake. And so we built that in. And the monsters are, are regulated by the fact that there's a deity who lives on Harn that dabbles in monster creation. And that's a very colloquial, crass way to put it. It's much more nuanced and detailed in how it's described. There's a whole story, a species, uh, this god who likes to invent creatures, but they have, and they have a soul, and the souls are finite and recycled. So it's, it's like the monster goes out in the world and gets killed uh, by adventurers, and his soul goes back to the deity, and he can recreate it into another one. It's completely up to the game master what that means and how to, how that manifests. But you have a tool there, both to right. creature you could ever want, ported in from any world, or um, invent your own, and then also a check on it, a mechanism that makes it work within the framework of a of a real feeling world. And then so much other stuff. The world was mapped. There are, there are maps of the oceans and the currents and the winds and even the plate tectonics of this planet. And then there were some other interesting decisions that Robin Crosby, together with my dad, made really early on, like to make it Earth-like. And it's done in the sense that it's a planet that's the size of the Earth, roughly. Uh-huh that is a water planet with the same basic ratio of water to land that has continents that are laid out in such a way it's kind of Earth-like, which leads to weather patterns that are kind of Earth-like. It also has one moon on purpose. You know, you, you could, <laughs> in fantasy, once you can do anything you want, but we chose one, one moon so that you could understand the tides. And we have 24-hour days and 360-day years. All again, choices, but they're very nice devices for giving you familiarity and fantasy at the same time. So this beautiful big sandbox first started in 83 is still going strong. This year we did the 40th anniversary 
Kickstarter of the master book and and oh wow, the big book that comes with the big map, mm -hmm. two hundred and eighty pages, and it's just been Kickstarter very successfully and, and coming out fairly soon in, in June or July. And so there's more of that. So if you'd asked me where are we going, that's on the list too. Harn is endless, literally endless. Right. You can map it and and drill down. Uh, I mentioned that big stuff like plate tectonics. Um, we get right down to a village and the residents of the village and what their names are and who their relationships are, who their fealty is to. Um, you can look at every different level of the society and something is provided. And then there's room for us to keep expanding. Um, and yet we have a bunch of rules. We, we expand within the framework so you can't change anything um that's been written of course it's just not done and we also hard is unique in that it has no meta story it, it, that goes forward in time so there's a time it's the year 720 in harn time it's actually called tuzan reckoning it's the name of the guy who codified the calendar uh, but that calendar everything in harn is in 720 uh, there's a history a history explaining how we got to where we're at and then there's a current events and then we stop but in the current everything um, everything we write is set up to be dripping with inspiration for what might happen so like there's a the most archetypical one that i always introduce because it's easy to understand but only one of dozens. Uh, but that is that there's a succession crisis brewing in a kingdom in the middle of Harn because there's an old king with three sons that are all illegitimate bastards. And he won't declare for any of them. They all would like to be king, but so would a few other people. And this is all set up. The king hasn't died, but he will. And it's been played. It's been played in um, people's campaigns in their in their homes, and it's been played at conventions. I've personally played that in a LARP, live action role playing, where we took on some of those high powered characters, the sons and the and the earls, and the, and we all postured to see who would be king, and it was awesome. And so that that can be gamed out again and again and again, or if you're in darn a lot of people have what they call their p-harn that's like personal harn where they move the clock forward and they tell the story and so one of the promises we made is we won't contradict your story um, <laughs> that's another really unique thing so we sure. but still got a lot of room to go there in terms of without contradicting anything filling in it's a gigantic puzzle and we literally have touched the surface like like a fraction is so 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 much and then to top it off we we've embarked on a bold uh project it's it's proving to be really bold for our little company and its resources we need some help actually um but we're trying to do a new thing called high colonies and that's like harn in space. That. if you want to give it one quick sentence harn in space and it's not related at all in any direct sense that's it's two different things Totally different things, but it is a role-playing environment where environment was 
the focus of, of a believable internet gritty and realistic environment set in the year 2237 mm -hmm. uh, post-apocalyptic kind of world where everybody lives in space on colonies and there's only about 20 million humans left uh, out of the original you know whatever billions uh and we've got this process now where we are slowly mapping and developing the space stations and the planets in the year 2237 in inside of this lore the high colonies lore and there's a whole history written of how you get from 1990 to 2237 so that has become a whole thing it's a new line it's a new exciting thing it's now is that coming to kickstarter we did it already we kickstarted oh, um, sorry <laughs> the original um the original base book um but we also pre, uh, took pre-orders for some of the expansions and those are past due if i'm being frank so okay we we are working on what we owe the world um it's it's hard mainly because of the the mention that i explained a little earlier on about the bottleneck and the, yeah yeah and the quality control the desire to have it be good uh is is a strong desire and working but, with but it's a proven it's a it's a it's a proven commodity i mean by by you know look at all the people that that send things out nowadays that are half done okay <laughs> and ha you know the the rules don't make sense and stuff like that. And, and all these people paid all these money for all these Kickstarters and what do they get? Well, they get their box, but a half finished game. Is it better to wait a little bit and make sure that it's right? Yeah, sure. Yeah, and it, that, really it, is. it really is. But there's a, an interesting layer where a lot of uh, what you're describing, the folks actually doing it, frankly, think it is right. They, mm -hmm. they, they don't, they didn't, they didn't have the benefit in most cases of a of an unfettered market judging them if they they got some customers you know backing the game out of the idea and the story and the faith and perhaps they're they're connected right friends or past customers right if they were to take that game and just take it to a game convention and give it to a group of people that's where you get real feedback yeah is biased and um I think that's not being done, surprisingly, you know, despite no, the it, fact that it'd be so easy. Not. To do. Yeah. And so funny thing, uh, this a proliferation of quantity um, and even an impression of a proliferation of quality. But I don't think under the hood that the quality is there as often oh, as it should. Look how many gaming companies are out there compared to, to you know, the earlier times in in Columbia's career here, okay. Yeah. Now you, you know you've entered this age where everybody's making a game, and how do you stand out? You know they, they don't care about standing out a lot of times. It's I got to get it out there so I can concentrate on the next thing. Yeah. Okay. You guys have the history and the benefit behind you to take your time, make sure it's right. And then release it, and then and then go. Okay, here you go. Now, yeah. now, now, what? And you don't hear it. In theory, you don't hear anybody hanging you guys in infant, uh, you know, infamy. Uh, not not 
not on the big scale. I no, that, there's get, always going to be some some fool that that oh, I, I, you know, yeah. the squeaky wheel that just wants to be a squeaky wheel. Yeah, and and in some respects, um, that's a good thing because it does keep us honest, and I, I, mm-hmm. I appreciate the candor. Um, uh, but yeah, I value the trust, and I um, I will I will do exactly what we've always done: is choose to get it right, um, kind of no matter how long it takes. Um, but um, we're getting there, so that's the good news on that one. We are actually we are actually getting there and it's it's gonna be good and i have really have a i have a very strong desire that it not only look good that but that it become one of the classics that people are playing you know 50 years from now uh, that's that's a tall order i think but it's 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 a good one uh, sure it, it sure is so again i can't thank you enough for coming on here guys listen Go to ColumbiaGames.com. Check out all, all the fantastic, fantastic games that they have. We're going to be seeing an array of stuff here on the channel. If, if, if you want to see how it's played and how it works, we're going to be doing it here over the next uh, couple of weeks. And I'm telling you, we're going to have a lot of fun with it. Again, Grant, I can't thank you enough for everything that you do. 50 years. That's an amazing thing to have behind you. And uh, you guys have to be so proud of it. And, 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 um, it, it, it's just a testament to the great fun, quality, and everything that you guys have done over the years. And I, I want to thank you so much for being here. Thank you very much for having me here. It's been great. Uh, for those wondering, um, I'm I'm 48 years old this year. I will be Your baby. So <laughs> I was, uh, Columbia Games was founded when I was negative two. And, and I don't even know if I was a twinkle in my yet. Uh, but I've been born into it, and I, I, if I can take it another 50 years, that sure would be a, a wonderful, wonderful outcome of life. Uh, and um, I'm sure going to try. So, all right, appreciate all right. the talk. And you know what? You know what? You will just because we had that other connection, right? We, yeah, we lift, we lift, right? Power lifting, yeah, and lifting yes. and everything I like that. Yeah. that. From my wife, believe it or not. Oh, really? She loves it, and she's made me into a convert. And I, I love it. We go to the gym three, four times a week. She, mm-hmm. she competes once in a while. Um, but that's my hedge for giving me the chance to actually live those fifty years. I'm, I'm, oh, staying, yeah. I'm staying in shape, and I play hockey too. So oh, there you go. Uh, yeah, I, I still try to do every everything I possibly can, even at this age. But <laughs> awesome. Never give but, up. Never, never stop. Never give up. Stop. But we'll definitely, definitely have you back on. I mean, this was fantastic. I think we just scratched the surface, and we got a ton more to talk about for sure. We, we do, yeah. Neat. Well, thank All you right. again. Uh, so, folks, appreciate your listening. And uh, like, uh, like you were told, please come over to our website. But uh, not only look at our stuff, but send me some feedback. I love to hear from you. Uh, there's we, ways to send comments or, or social networks, Facebook, that kind of stuff you know, friend me. That's cool. Uh, we, we really do like it that way. It's, it's, it's the best way to do it. Being open and honest. And then that's how you win. All right. Uh, until next time, it's your old pal, Rob Grant. Thank you so much. Hang on here for, uh, after this and, uh, we'll see everybody soon next week with another
interview here on Rob's Tabletop World podcast. Take it easy, everybody. Well, there you have it, folks. A really, really fascinating interview. Uh, longest one I've did so far. That's her doggone sure. Um, we're hoping to get uh, Roger Daring uh, uh, coming up soon, along with Deborah from Geek Gamer. Uh, it really depends on scheduling and, of course, my health. So we'll do the best we can, and uh, we'll be back next week, hopefully, with even more stuff as this podcast continues on i want to thank you all for all your support and uh again you can find me at my youtube channel where we have thousands of videos and i do mean thousands until next time it's your old pal rob we'll see you soon everybody